Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Shiva Mozaferian, and welcome to SoundBites, the podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation. Joining me today to discuss the various types of vaccines and the impact of use of psoriatic disease are Dr. Sandy Chat and dermatologist Dr. Christoph Elbricht. Dr. Sadie Chat is currently a resident with Indiana University School of Medicine and will be doing her dermatology training at the University of Southern California. She is the author of numerous publications around different treatments and the implementation of guidelines of care for psoriatic disease. Dr. Christoph Albrecht is a clinical instructor and postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Albrecht is a member of the NPF COVID-19 Task Force, which has and continues to address the use of mRNA vaccines during the pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Chat and Dr. Elbricht. It's a pleasure having you on SoundBites today. Thank you for taking the time to address the types and use of vaccines for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Dr. Chat, in general, what is the purpose for using vaccines? Thanks so much for having us. So the purpose for using vaccines in general is to prevent transmissible diseases and poor outcomes of these diseases, such as hospitalization or death. Just to give a quick example, in the past, there were some infectious diseases that killed or harmed a lot of people. But now with the development of vaccines, we've been able to really prevent people from getting these really severe outcomes. Oftentimes, these disease prevention benefits are much greater than any possible side effects. One example is that before vaccines were available, About 50 children were dying each year from chickenpox, but now that we do have the vaccine, that number has gone way down. The importance of vaccines is that it really is able to prevent a lot of severe and poor outcomes of these diseases. So what types of vaccines are available? That's a great question. There are two basic categories of vaccines. So there's live vaccines and non-live vaccines. We'll first talk about live vaccines. So these are called live attenuated vaccines. They are a weakened form of the pathogen that causes disease. Some examples of these are the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, rotavirus, smallpox, chickenpox, and yellow fever. In terms of the non-live vaccines, there are multiple categories. So one is inactivated vaccines, which uses the killed version of the pathogen. And another category is the mRNA vaccines. That is like the COVID vaccine. There's also subunit vaccines, recombinant, polysaccharide, and conjugate vaccines, which uses specific pieces of the pathogen to trigger an immune response in our body. There's toxoid vaccines, and there's also viral vector vaccines. So there's multiple different types available out there. Wow, there's quite a few different types. Dr. Albrecht, what types of vaccines are generally recommended for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis? Are there any cautions for those using immunosuppressive therapy? Yes, thanks so much for having me as well. Yeah, that's a very important question. As uh, Dr. Chad pointed out, we 
distinguish between inactivated and or killed vaccines and live vaccines. In general, for patients with psoriatic disease, the recommendations are basically the same as for the general population. For example, there is an annual flu shot, and there's a Shingrix vaccine, pneumococcal vaccine, and all the recommendations that the CDC puts out for the general population also apply to patients with psoriatic disease. There's a, the situation with live vaccines where we want to make sure that people are a little more cautious. If you're on a systemic medication for psoriatic disease, your immune system might be a little weaker. So it's important to have a discussion with your physician, with your provider, whether to get a live vaccine. Ideally, you should get the live vaccine prior to starting any systemic medication for psoriatic disease. But if you have to get it during your treatment course for psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis, it's important to have the discussion with your physician how to do that. Sometimes they have to stop the medication for a week or two or even more. And it also depends on how well you controlled your diseases. So if you happen to have a lot of flares, then having to stop your medication in order to get a live vaccine is certainly something that is a little more complicated. So these are things that patients with a psoriatic disease should definitely consider. That's great to know. And Dr. Albrecht, you mentioned flu shots. As you know, now is the time that flu shots are generally recommended, yet thousands of people, including those with psoriatic disease, prefer not to receive a flu shot. What's the reason for this? And do you recommend those who have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis receive a flu shot? In general, yes, absolutely. Everybody should get the flu shot, especially if you have psoriasis or psoriatic disease, because you happen to be or tend to be on medications that make your immune system weaker. So if you catch the flu, you're more likely to have a, let's say, bad outcome, to have to go to the hospital. And that is certainly something we try to avoid. And the flu shot is really good at protecting you from having severe disease. I think many people tend to underestimate the flu. You can get really, really sick from the flu. And every year, tens of thousands of Americans die from the flu. So that's certainly something that you should keep in mind. It's not just a common cold. The flu is something that everybody should take seriously. And in general, getting the flu shot does not only protect you from the flu, but also the people around you that you live with. It also protects people in your community. I think sometimes that gets overlooked. Getting the flu shot is, yes, a personal decision, but certainly also something that affects the people around you. So definitely, yes, people with psoriatic disease should get the flu shot every year. That's great to know. Thank you. And for you both, what are some risks that increase the potential for catching the flu? Are the risks more significant this year since many of us have been basically in isolation for the last year or so? Some of the risks that I think of are just the way that flu spreads. So it spreads from person to person by droplets when people cough, sneeze, or when they talk. So risks of catching it are increased if you come in contact with people coughing and sneezing. Think what you may be getting at with people being isolated for the past year or so, and now that things are opening back up a little bit more, we haven't really been able to spend as much time socializing or gathering with others. So nowadays that we have come out of isolation more, it may be a bit of an increased risk when you're around more people with these type of events and socialization. And Dr. Albrecht, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yes, I think everything that protects you from COVID and everything we've been doing over the last year and a half to protect ourselves from COVID also applies to the flu, as Dr. Chad pointed out. So they're kind of similar in terms of how they are transmitted. 
COVID might be actually a little more contagious when we look at the latest variant, the Delta variant, but social distancing, frequent hand washing, wearing a mask when you're outside your home or in situations where you're coming into close contact with people, certainly something that protects from the flu and from COVID. So that's certainly something that is important to keep in mind. That's great advice. Dr. Chat, you mentioned the different types of viruses previously. We know the zoster shingles virus is more common among those who have an immune disease. Could you please explain what the herpes zoster shingles virus is? Why do some people get shingles and some people don't? Sure. So the research has been clear that patients with psoriatic disease or inflammatory arthritis, they are more likely to develop shingles than healthy adults. The reason for why this occurs is less clear. Most experts say that it may be due to dysfunction in the immune system, as well as it could be partially due to the effects from immune suppressing medications that these people are on and that they're taking to manage their disease. What the herpes zoster or shingles virus is, it's related to the chickenpox. So anyone who has had chickenpox can develop shingles. What it does is that when you're recovering from chickenpox, the virus is entering your nervous system and it's sleeping or it's dormant for years. And later on in life, it can reactivate and it can travel along some nerve pathways to your skin, and it produces these lesions on your skin, these blisters that are referred to as shingles. As you mentioned, not everyone who's had chickenpox will develop shingles, and the reason for who develops shingles is unclear, but it can be due to people who have lowered immune systems. So some of these people can have reduced immune system as you get older. That's why being older than 50 can put you at higher risk for getting shingles or having certain diseases that weaken your immune system, such as HIV or cancer or even psoriatic disease. So the shingles vaccine doesn't guarantee that you won't get shingles, but it does really reduce the course and the severity of the disease if you get it. And it also reduces your risks for post-herpetic neuralgia, which is pain in the area that you had shingles, even after recovery. Thank you, Dr. Chat, for explaining what shingles is. Dr. Albrecht, could the risk of shingles increase with therapies used to treat psoriatic disease? Yes, that's a very important question. So there's a theoretical risk that whenever you use a medication that makes the immune system weaker, you increase the likelihood or the chance of getting shingles. So a lot of medications that we use to treat psoriatic disease have the potential risk. We do know that, for example, JAK inhibitors or corticosteroids, prednisone, that are often used to treat psoriatic arthritis, for example, especially when they are used in in combination, can increase your risk to develop shingles or to get shingles. And that's why the National Psoriasis Foundation recommends that even though you might be younger than 50 years, which is usually the threshold for the shingles vaccine, if you're on tofacitinib or corticosteroids or a combination of these two, you should get the shingles vaccine to be protected from shingles. That's important to know. For you both, could you please explain what vaccines are available to prevent shingles, how they work, and when they should be given? What's the dosing schedule look like? The two vaccines that are available to prevent shingles are the recombinant zoster vaccine and the live attenuated zoster vaccine. In the US, the recombinant 
zoster vaccine has replaced the live attenuated zoster vaccine because there's better efficacy and safety in the general population and not really many people use the live attenuated vaccine. However, in a lot of other regions of the world, the live vaccine is still used. So ideally, these vaccines should be given before you start systemic therapy for psoriatic disease. And this is to help ensure a maximal immune response, as well as prevent any sort of side effects that may occur due to having a modified immune system from the medications. So if we're talking about the recombinant vaccine, this is the non-live vaccine. It's given in two doses and they are at least four weeks apart. You also require a two-week interval after getting the second dose before you should start a immunosuppressive medication. In terms of the live vaccine, this is a one-time dose and it requires a four-week interval after that dose before you should start an immunomodulatory or immunosuppressive medication. And that's to minimize risk of disseminated disease. Just to add to what Dr. Chad already explained, the recombinant shingles vaccine, which is also known under the name Shingrix, is a vaccine that is generally recommended for adults 50 years and older. It's a two-shot vaccine separated by two to six months. And your doctor or pharmacist can give you Shingrix uh, as a shot in your upper arm. Thank you so much for that information. Now shifting to probably one of the biggest advances in vaccine development is the mRNA vaccine. Dr. Chat, can you please explain what the mRNA vaccine is and how long it's been in development? What's the significance of this vaccine? So the mRNA vaccine, what it is, how it works, is that it gives us instructions for our cells to make a harmless piece of protein that generates an immune response inside of our bodies. That immune response is producing antibodies, and these antibodies protect us from becoming infected or developing severe disease if the virus enters our bodies. The mRNA vaccine technology has actually been in development for decades, and they had studied it for flu, Zika, rabies, and CMV, which is cytomegalovirus. This type of vaccine is really important because they have a shorter manufacturing time compared to other types of vaccines out there. Because of that, it's really easy to change the mRNA vaccines up to match variants, and they can be much more quickly produced. This is different from, say, when you make influenza vaccine, which is a slower process because the influenza virus strains are grown in chicken eggs and the viral protein is purified and made into a vaccine from that. So that's why the mRNA vaccine is so significant because it can be produced faster and it does not contain a live vaccine. So there's also no risk of causing disease in the person getting vaccinated. And so we still hear some concern about mRNA vaccines receiving emergency youth authorization or EUA versus FDA approval. Should this be a reason why someone does not receive the COVID vaccine? One of the things to keep in mind is that it's really reassuring to know that the EUA approval, although it's not the full FDA approval, it does require really extensive quality and safety data. And all of this is from phase one, phase two, and phase three clinical trials. So there are tens of thousands of study participants 
and multi-step approval process that they have to go through. It also requires input from a lot of scientists and physicians who receive data from the clinical trials and are able to make a decision for if the vaccine or the treatment can be given this EUA approval. So at this point, even the COVID vaccines that have the EUA approval and the Pfizer vaccine, which has full FDA approval, over 400 million doses of the vaccine have been given in the U.S. And there has been plans continuously for active follow-up of safety among people who receive these vaccines. The information includes the deaths, hospitalizations, and other adverse events. So there's always ongoing evaluations and analyses being performed to make sure that these vaccines continue to demonstrate safety. So I think that should give us a much more a peace of mind. That's super helpful to know. Thank you, Dr. Chat. And Dr. Alberts, what is the recommendation for the COVID-19 vaccine for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis and why? Yeah, that's important. Currently available vaccines include the mRNA vaccines, which are manufactured by Pfizer or Moderna, and then there's an inactivated vector or virus, adenovirus vector-based vaccine that is made by Johnson & Johnson. And the current recommendation based on our MPF task force guidance recommendations that are also available online and constantly updated is that patients with psoriatic disease who do not have contraindications to vaccination should receive a COVID vaccine as soon as it becomes available to them. It is recommended that patients who receive, for example, mRNA-based COVID vaccine continue their biologic or oral therapy in most cases, but we do encourage that patients talk to their physicians about this. It is also recommended that patients who receive the Johnson & Johnson vaccine if they are older than 60 years and if you're on methotrexate, you should discuss with your physician whether to hold the medication for two weeks. Because from the food literature, we know that holding methotrexate may improve the antibody response after flu vaccination. So we kind of extrapolate that statement and say this might be true for COVID as well. So if you're older than 60, you have comorbidities that put you at high risk of poor COVID outcome and you are on methotrexate, you should talk to your provider about holding the methotrexate for two You know that the immune response might be modified, which means maybe slightly weaker if you're on certain medications. However, we do recommend that you get the COVID vaccine, and uh, it's not a contraindication if you have psoriasis or if you um, are on medications to treat your psoriasis, you're still eligible for the vaccine. However, because we know that you may not be fully protected. We do encourage social distancing, wearing a mask, frequent hand washing, and all the other CDC-based recommendations to, to prevent the spread of COVID. Based on our current knowledge, we know that the COVID-19 vaccines are highly effective in preventing severe disease, hospital admission, and death. So overall, we strongly recommend getting vaccinated. That's such an incredibly important message. And Dr. Alberts, what evidence indicates the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines and their ability to address disease variants as they emerge? I just heard yesterday there's a variant of the Delta variant. Yeah, that's a very important point. And this is basically all in flux. So we are learning about new variants. However, up to now, it's still true that being vaccinated with the currently available COVID vaccines is highly effective 
in protecting you from severe disease, from hospital admission, and from death. So that still holds true. And there may be strains in the future for which the current vaccines are not as effective. However, we do know that as of now, the currently available vaccines are quite effective in preventing severe disease. They are considered safe, have been given to hundreds of millions of people. COVID vaccines that are currently available are, are safe to use in patients with psoriasis. They are safe to use in patients with psoriasis that are on systemic treatments, and they seem to be quite effective in preventing severe disease. As Dr. Chet pointed out earlier, the mRNA vaccines and the vaccine technologies as well are very effective and can easily be changed. So even for new variants, there's a good chance that there will be a new vaccine to address new variants. I think several companies are working on this. And based on what we've learned from the currently available vaccines, I'm optimistic that those vaccines will be also highly effective. So we will update our vaccines as new variants emerge. But I think vaccines are certainly the key to changing the course of this pandemic. And can you both comment on the need for booster shots and the effectiveness of mixing or matching COVID vaccines for the booster shot? Studies have shown that there is a gradual decline in vaccine efficacy over time after you have received the second dose. So in terms of your immune response and the antibodies. So that's why it is important to get the booster shot, especially if you're more than six months out from your second shot and you're at high risk or you're taking immunosuppressive medications or you're over a certain age. One thing that is important to point out and I'd like to stress is that the booster shots, if you're on systemic therapy for psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis, are indicated regardless of whether you got Moderna or Pfizer in the beginning. So you are eligible based on your medication. For the general population, as of now, it's currently a little different that I think the boosters are only recommended for certain people age 60 or 65 and above and people working in the healthcare setting, but only if they got the Pfizer vaccine. But if you are actually on a systemic treatment for psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis, it doesn't matter whether you got Moderna first or Pfizer, you are eligible for a booster. And currently it's recommended to wait at least four weeks after your second mRNA vaccine. That is also different from the general population where the booster is recommended six months after, because we know that immune responses might not be as good if you are on a systemic treatment or an immune modulatory treatment. You can get the booster within or after four weeks after getting your second shot. So there are minor differences that I'd like to point out because sometimes it can be a little confusing. In terms of mix and match, I think things are in flux. The FDA and CDC are considering that to allow mixing and matching of COVID vaccines. So if you've got, for example, J&J first time around, you could now get an mRNA-based vaccine. So that should make it easier for people to just get the vaccine because then uh, availability is just increased and it's easier for people to get their booster. But it's in flux, so please stay tuned. This may change any day the CDC and uh, FDA are actively working on these recommendations to relax the requirement of the same vaccine. So mixing and matching will likely be allowed in the future, but please stay tuned. Great. Thank you so much. And Dr. Chat, we've talked a lot about current vaccines. What do you envision will be the future of vaccines? Yeah, the future of vaccines is really exciting. It looks like the possibilities are endless. 
especially with the new mRNA vaccine technology that has been successful recently, these mRNA vaccines can be used to target almost any pathogen. As we touched on a little bit earlier, it's really easy to change the mRNA-based vaccine by changing the sequence in there. So this has really huge implications for quickly being able to have vaccines that address variants that come up or even other diseases and vaccine-preventable conditions that we haven't been able to quite produce as of yet. Yeah, the mRNA vaccine is a pretty remarkable advancement. Thank you both for an interesting discussion about vaccines today. Do you have any final comments you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. I would like to point out that there are guidance recommendations that the COVID-19 NPF task force constantly updates. You can look up those guidance recommendations online. You can Google just NPF COVID-19 task force or uh, under psoriasis.org, you can look up the NPF COVID-19 guidance recommendations. I personally frequently look them up because it's a living document, so it's uh, updated whenever something of significance happens. It's also available in Spanish, so I frequently refer patients to this website. They can look it up, and I think it's important for our Spanish-speaking patients to also have this resource, and it overall is supposed to promote optimal care and better outcomes for patients with psoriatic disease. In addition, please get your flu shot, please get your COVID vaccine. I think it will make a huge difference, not only for yourself, but also for everybody around you and society in general. And Dr. Chat, would you like to add anything? I think that Dr. Ella Brecht really brought the point home. In addition to the vaccines, we mentioned hand washing, continuing to go to your doctor's appointments and stay up to date about the most recent recommendations. That's really going to help a huge deal. What great comments to end our podcast on today. Thank you, Dr. Albrecht and Dr. Chat for being here today to discuss the timely topic of vaccines and for all of your efforts as part of the MPF COVID-19 Task Force, which we greatly appreciate. I hope you, our listeners, receive valuable and useful tips to impact your choices about vaccines. For more information about whether a particular vaccine is right for you, please contact your healthcare provider to discuss your concerns. For information about psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, contact the Patient Navigation Center by calling 800-723-9166, option 1, or by emailing education at psoriasis.org. And finally, Soundbites is supported by unrestricted educational grants from Amgen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Janssen, Novartis, Pfizer, and UCB. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Soundbites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Soundbites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.